2: So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone.
3: Hello and welcome to the MMQB NFL Podcast. I'm Gary Gramling, And
4: I'm Connor Orr.
3: Connor, we are going to talk some Bills Chiefs and some Cowboys Eagles at the end of this show, but as promised earlier, the, the, maybe the one time we ever kept our promise about what's coming up on the upcoming episode here, huh. uh, we're, we are going to talk about Russell Wilson and everything going wrong with Russell Wilson, why maybe there's a, a small element, at least, of overreaction going on, and just basically how uh, this guy suddenly morphed into, I think, a Objectively, a bottom five starting quarterback through five games here, quite possibly the worst quarterback in the league through uh, through week five of the NFL season.
4: Like it's it's wild. Like the fact that we're here in this space discussing this. Right. Doesn't it just feel completely crazy? It does. Uh, you know,
3: I said this summer when we were talking about the Broncos on the uh, on the power rankings preview series that Russ might end up being the fourth best quarterback in that division, which felt which felt very takey. Uh, I did think it was like a coin flip. I, I didn't think he'd be. <laughs> I didn't think he'd be this. I didn't think he'd be playing at like a, a sub Bailey Zappy type level here uh, for the Broncos.
4: So um, I've, I've professed my love, right, of the Ben Baldwin uh, NFL Fastar data site that, mm-hmm. that combines a lot of our analytics into easily digestible things. And they put the quarterbacks on a um, – oh, boy, Gary, I, I failed uh, calculus in high school. The graph with the – that's the big plus sign <laughs> and the, big, the good things are on the top right and the bad things are on the bottom left.
3: Yeah, like a well, it's it's like a graph, like with a y-axis and, and, and an x-axis.
4: I remember y-axis being thrown around there as a as sort yeah. of an industry term in calculus. I just really wasn't uh, <laughs> was you know. But anyway, <laughs> it
3: was big calculus was always talking about the y-axis.
4: Yeah, big calculus just kind of had all this you know it's all this jargon to try to get put one on over your head. But uh, so quarterback efficiency, right, and all the way to the top right, the gold standard at this point. Uh, Obviously, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and the third of the big three, Geno Smith, everybody, uh, Mm -hmm. the guys that you knew would be there.
1: And then Mm -hmm. all
4: the way down in the bottom left, which are the guys that you don't want, Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz, Joe Flacco, Justin Fields, and dead last, Baker Mayfield. Um, Wild to me that Russell Wilson is in this conversation. And obviously... Their stats, expected points added per snap, completion percentage over expectation, play success rate. They overrate certain mid-level quarterbacks. Like Teddy Bridgewater was a dream of efficiency last year Mm -hmm. for Denver in Pat Shermer's offense, but you're just like, okay, that's not... That's not getting me anywhere. Uh, He's not a top five player. Geno Smith, I think, is one of those guys, too, who is playing efficient football. Uh, You know, Is he going to end up a top five player this year? No. So you could say that the same is true about the bottom half of this. Maybe it over-penalizes slightly. However, man, I mean, Russell Wilson is not adding a whole lot to the snap, and he's actually completing fewer passes. Uh, He's completing passes under expectation, which is... It just—it's strange to me. Well, let's—I—I uh, want
3: to try to take this sort of point by point, and then we're going to get to some of the, the some reasons for optimism uh, as for why this uh, certainly this it can't get worse. <laughs> so right. presumably, it's either going to stay as bad, or more likely, get a little bit better as we go on here. But um, you know, one of the things that was uh, I thought noticeable in week two and week three was that he was not taking some obvious opportunities to run. Uh, And look with the way they're going to be defended uh, really the way any decent quarterback is defended with, with the split safety looks and and keeping everything in front of you, those opportunities are going to be there. Uh, You know, our Albert Breer had written a little bit uh, of an informed piece in his Monday column. Uh, The, the section was the three deep, uh, of his Monday column, that the sense in the Broncos' uh, sort of coaching staff is that Russell wants to be sort of a pure pocket guy. He wants to sort of make this transition to being a uh, Tom Brady-esque style of quarterback, and uh, and therefore he maybe maybe was a little less reluctant to uh, take advantage of those running opportunities, which just seems insane. <laughs> I mean, just, just run for the 15 yards. There's 15 yards, just run for it and slide. And uh, just like you did for the first, you know, part of your career when you were great, just do that.
4: Well, I I just can imagine and listen, I mean, Russell Wilson has more access to uh, neuroscience, you know, neurocircuitry training than I could ever imagine. I, I watched the I watch the videos that are like, power your brain on YouTube, you know, so that you know, like, there's we're, we're living in a different life. Right. And clearly, yeah. clearly it's not working for me. But, um, you know, uh, and so this is going to sound like an oversimplistic take, but like, if you want to be Tom Brady, then you hit the guy to your right with the game on the line um, in in the Colts game last weekend. Right. I mean, that's how you become a pocket passer. You hit the open guy um, and Russell, I feel like, has used his mobility to a, as a tool to progress further through his reads over time. And if you're all of a sudden one day just saying, "Okay, I'm done with that," that's great. But you're not, you're not Ben Roethlisberger, right? You're not Philip Rivers. You haven't been doing that for your entire life. So it just kind of sucks for everybody else that you've decided that you're gonna like, you know just let like pinball through this thing until you can find a, find an Avenue that works for you.
3: Yeah. And you raise a really good point that I I think is worth remembering. Uh, part of the reason Tom Brady is Tom Brady is because this is the style of football he has played uh, for a very long time, going back to his very early developmental years. Uh, It, you know, no one at Michigan was kind of like, we got to get some uh, sprint option going here with Tom Brady. (laughs) Uh, You're just not going to play that way. The other issue here, and this is, I, I, I wrote about this a couple years ago when, when Kyler Murray declared for the draft uh, at first. And I this wasn't like a, a take on Kyler Murray. I just found it really interesting that someone uh, of that stature was going to be transitioning to the NFL and be the number one overall, overall pick uh, of that draft. But uh, height matters. And, you know, I I, I wrote all about it. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I people just... Lose their minds with the physics. Like that six foot two loose benchmark, loose benchmark, six foot two, uh, that means something because you're. (laughs) Your your eyes are in the middle of your head. Uh, the guys in front of you, the linemen, yes, they're in an athletic stance, but they're still very tall. They have shoulder pads on. Uh, it is difficult to see around them if you are under that 6'2 bench. Now, that's not to say there's a huge difference between like 6'2 and 6'1 and a half, but when you're talking 6'2 to 5'11, uh, your vision from the pocket will never be very good. Drew Brees was kind of the one guy who who defied that to an extent that was in part because of his, his spectacular uh, movement within the pocket. The fact that he always had three all pro caliber guys uh, on the interior line there. And, uh, and just, he sort of also developed kind of a, just kind of a sixth sense for being able to know where the bodies are moving uh, on the intermediate levels of the field. Russell Wilson has not only never played that way, He is physically not going to be able to play that way. He's not going to be able to survey the field from the pocket, uh, which is, again, in the NFL, the pocket is very claustrophobic. There is uh, it is very difficult to see. if you are five foot 11 functioning from the pocket it's just not gonna be him uh, even if he somehow retrained his brain to uh, uh, make up for decades of lost time here it's just not him he has always been at his best in the past uh, getting late into the down uh, getting out of the pocket uh, you know they had some very brief success uh, under Daryl bevel when they went to a, a real quick strike type of approach uh it caught some teams off guard for half a season and then it kind of got thrown out after that but uh it's just not possible for him to become a Tom Brady-esque quarterback and be successful he can he can try to be a Tom Brady-esque quarterback it's just it's not going to work it's going to look like it's looked for the first five weeks here
4: uh so I I got some I I had a moment of hope for Russell Wilson and the, uh, and the Broncos yesterday. I was at flag football practice, uh, Mm -hmm. four and and five year old flag football. And, you know, my daughter and I are working on throwing in the backyard. It's like, okay, yeah, you know, you've thrown this way over your shoulder, over your shoulder. And, uh, uh, you know, she does it and she's like, I don't really like throwing it that way. It's not fun. And I'm like, yeah, but this is, this is how you throw. And then, We get into the meat of flag football practice where it's like, okay, throw a pass and just Mm -hmm. two hands over your head, just launching it like it's a throw in in and it's like soccer throwing. You know, it's like, God. uh, All right. (laughs) You know, but the point being that instinct and comfort does take over at some point. And Mm -hmm. that's why it's weird. That's when you're seeing the best of Seattle of Denver's offense is when it's late in the game and they have to drive. And Russell Wilson is taking the running opportunities. He is uh, creating some of the um, some of the defensive back placement that he needs to in the secondary to kind of throw the throw the loft balls, throw the touch balls that he likes. He's doing all those things unconsciously because that is what his, what his body is trained to do. And that's when you're seeing it work. That's when you're seeing it flow. Um, otherwise, it's just it, it looks uncomfortable. And it, and you know, like I said, it's not fair. You know, and I guess quarterbacks don't care about this. I mean, you know, look at what Peyton Manning was doing with Gary Kubiak, right? They tried to run outside zone with Peyton Manning. They tried to put him in the pistol, remember, at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the time there? And he was just like, nah, man, uh, there's a Peyton Manning offense, and this is what we do. And they eventually just, you know, they got Wes Welker, and they ran the Peyton Manning offense. But I'm wondering if Russell is going to accept that at some point. Um, Because on paper, sure, it sounds great. To pitch to a guy in his 30s that has some business aspirations post career, yeah, like you're not going to get hit anymore. Um, you know, you're going to exit games feeling 90% better. Um, you know, you'll be able to walk around for most of your life. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe Russell's got a, aspirations to be a hobby trail runner <laughs> or something uh, post career. Um you could do that if you're if you play like Tom Brady. But it, but it, it, there's a difference between in theory and in practice
3: aspirations to have functional knees into his 50s and 60s (laughs) yeah you know the things we all want (laughs) yeah yeah the other thing that uh look he was always a really tough guy to uh to assess for a lot of uh you know a, a lot of analysts a lot of coaches around the league uh perhaps a former host of this podcast andy benoit whose thoughts on russell wilson are are still living out
4: there uh his by the way you should say what he said because at the time uh he was destroyed i think by Deadspin right for saying that yeah. that he would rather have Matt Stafford than Russell Wilson right yes and and Deadspin didn't really have
3: any points to make but they did have a swear in the headlines so people just sort of uh you know that that was the burn swearing on the internet is is undefeated uh no one had ever done that before and that's why everyone kind of uh really loved that one but uh his downfield throwing efficiency has just been off the charts for so long, and I think it reached a point where I, I know this is how I started to look at it, and it was kind of like, well, you know, Andy would, when we would talk about it, not to put words in his mouth, but I, I will to an extent, um, he would say, like, you know, you can't really you can't really expect this to keep to up this way. You can't keep on, you know, hitting uh, 48% of his throws beyond 30 yards every season and stuff like that and it's like i don't know after it you know it's it's all small sample size but after a while when it keeps on happening you just kind of say you know shrug your shoulders and say okay this is just how it's gonna be he just has sort of a supernatural ability to do that you know the the moon ball uh you wrote about that a little bit Mm -hmm. uh, a couple years ago uh He's thrown one of those that I can remember this year. Uh, I, I've, uh, I was just rewatching everything. I, I think the only one he's hit was uh, to Jerry Judy in the Raiders game. Uh, but that's been about it. And you just wonder to an extent. Uh, again, he, he more than anyone in the history of this league, he makes so many uh, – he's so efficient on low-probability throws – and if there is a, a, you know, start of a physical decline, does that end up being an issue? Does, does that, is that what falls off first? And is that what we're seeing right now? Uh, you know, there's been some rumors, uh, there's a shoulder issue. Uh, you know, is that, are those plays going to be gone? Because if those plays are gone, he's, I think generously, uh, you would say he is a pretty ordinary starting quarterback.
4: Yeah. It's interesting. It actually, it looks like I, I heard the shoulder thing. It just from a pure watching standpoint, it almost feels like, like lower body somewhere where there, I think that there's, there's some stuff going on there, but Mm -hmm. I I would argue, I, I would make the argument um not again, I mean, I'm I, I'm so terrified of Andy's football knowledge. And I said this about two people in our business, Andy and the late Chris Westling. Um, once at NFL Network, they were like, hey, you need to do like a point counterpoint post with Chris Westling. And I said, no. <laughs> because he's just going to destroy me. And I think uh, that was the same thing when uh, maybe it was one time where either I had to do a post with Andy or Andy and I were doing something together. And I was like, no, I don't want to look stupid. Yeah. Um, but uh, I so not to not to try to add a layer to Andy's point here, but I think you put Russell, you put Kyler. Those two guys specifically, because Kyler's another guy that has a highly disproportionate number of successful downfield balls. Mm -hmm. Part of that was Christian Kirk. He was an above average 50-50 ball wide receiver. And so we'll see how the numbers bear out this year. But part of that, I think, is also that the two of them are not – they're not Lamar Jackson – tight burners where they're just... Once they hit the threshold, they're going to go. They're very artful about this, and I think that when they escape the pocket and they... They come out. They're able to draw defenders in. And I would argue that, you know, if you take that stupid Amazon commercial with the percentages of each throw before they leave (laughs) his hand, I would argue that the (laughs) that the high that the low percentage throws air quotes are higher percentage for Russell Wilson because the Mm -hmm. players are slightly more open. Does that make sense? Yeah, the players are slightly more open, and because uh, he has manipulated know. the defense in a way where one of those guys is going to come up, even ever so slightly, uh, on the off chance that he runs, and maybe there's someone bracketing the receiver in the back or whatever. But he's mm-hmm. got a little more room than if Matt Stafford broke the pocket, because everyone's okay. just like, Nah, dude, that you know, you're not, you're not running anywhere. And if you do, I don't care. Yeah, I'll buy that. Okay. 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 <laughs> that's it show over
3: Uh, (laughs) no the the other it kind of related to that the other thing to to consider here is uh he is a guy who even at his best he plays an improvisational style i mean that was his style there's there's no doubt about that anyone who wants to sort of parse the numbers and try and find some sort of argument saying uh, Russell Wilson was the, was a disciplined pocket passer at some point in his career. He wasn't. He never was, and he had an incredible amount of success doing it. Uh, when you play that improvisational style, you need to have some sort of chemistry forge with your receivers. DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett at this point in their careers are better than Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, but Sutton and Judy are still very good I mean that's that's one of the better receiving tandems in the league but you wonder how much of it is just simply a matter of these guys haven't played together enough at this point and uh it will look better the more they play together
4: yeah I listen we saw Aaron Rodgers struggle with the intricacies of this offense early on we see some quarterbacks take to it really well just because they've never had this much space in their life but um, that's like Ryan Tannehill, right? Where mm-hmm. he became the most efficient passer in the league in this offense because he's like, holy crap, I've never seen guys this open before. And so that's great. That's a really cool thing. But when you're used to having so much control over everything and who goes where and who's supposed to be in certain places, this isn't that offense. you know. In this offense, it's like, you know what? Get back into your drop. Get to the mesh point. Get booted out and then let's let's follow the rules and i think some guys just can't operate that way and it's yeah. and it and it's unfortunate but i think once you submit to that then once you master that you can you can start to add what you do well in there like that's what we saw Aaron do i think one of the biggest stories of the last 5 years in football was Aaron Rodgers allowing himself to be broken down by that system and then building it back up together with LaFleur, with Hackett, uh, you know, with uh, Tom Clements is there now, um, Adam Stenovich, and they build it back up together where it's something that includes all of their stuff. But you have to get broken down. You have to allow yourself Mm -hmm. to get broken down to the bare bones. I don't see that with him. I I just, I I don't see there being like a submission because I, I think we're seeing open wide receivers. I, I yes. think there'd be there would be something wrong if this looked like Jacksonville last year, where there's literally two guys smashing into each other. But and and we did have that uh, in fairness to Russell, right? Wasn't it last week where there was it, two guys in the same place?
3: <laughs> but it ended up being a completion. It did end up being a completion. <laughs> that was one of their big plays.
4: Yeah, um, but you know, I, I'm I'm seeing open guys. I you know, so I I, I don't know what to think here.
3: There's not a schematic problem, and there's not a play calling problem. And I would, uh, you know, if, if you don't want to watch every snap of the season so far because you have a life and loved ones you want to spend time with, uh, I would say uh, watch the Seattle game. I think that was a good example. A lot of, a lot of really wide open. Uh, Receivers running out there. Uh, But also, if you don't want to watch the whole Seattle game, just watch the overtime drive, because I I don't want to overstate it and I don't want to oversimplify it and say, like, well, watch this one drive and that tells you everything that's gone wrong, because that's a little unfair, too. But that overtime drive was two, uh, you know, two big plays that were pure scheme. Uh, those were they could have had Brett Ripon in there. They could have brought back uh, Brock Osweiler or Trevor Simey. Any quarterback could have made those throws. The scheme, the play calling presented those to him. So they move all the way down, and then of course at the end of the game, the issue is you know you miss the the wide open slant because you're basically coming out of the huddle deciding you're going to try and fire one into Cortland Sutton, and that's why you're going home with a loss in that game. But uh, uh, the best point you have ever made, Connor. (laughs) You or I have ever made. Uh, This this looks a lot like the 2019 Packers. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback than Russell Wilson in in their primes. He was better. Right now, he's better. Uh, So I don't want to say this is going to end up with Russell Wilson winning back-to-back MVPs in 2023 and 2024. Uh, But we were all kind of, you know, wringing our hands and, Kind of wondering how this was going to play out with Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur and that staff in 2019 when it just wasn't smooth. And they won games because they were a very good overall team. Uh, they got some breaks along the way. Uh, they get to 13-3, and but Aaron Rodgers did not look good that year. He didn't look really, really good again until 2020. Uh, Aaron Rodgers similarly a very improvisational quarterback uh, for the first portion of his career. It, it, Like you said, he had to be broken down, and he had to sort of give himself over. Uh, and it wasn't a total like 100% type thing, but uh, they had to meet somewhere in the middle, but probably a little more toward the highly schemed side of things. And that's why you see the Packers uh, where they are right now and why they'll probably be able to uh, to get back to that point once their young receivers get up to speed here. But uh, that's kind of what we're looking at here. We're looking at a guy who <laughs> stylistically he has to change. Uh, he has a first-year head coach who does not have a track record. Uh, who is going to win this tug-of-war? The front office has chosen their side i mean they made the trade and then they gave them the monster contract there's no moving on from russell wilson (laughs) like it's it's i guess you could uh put brett ripon in and make him the most expensive backup player in the history of sports but uh, wouldn't that be amazing it would be amazing and i will say uh i'll admit it uh when the report of like the shoulder issue came out i was like man i wonder if this is like just excuse to like run Brett rippon out there and just have just have a league average offense for a couple of weeks instead of uh instead of a bottom three offense here and just because you can win games with this defense yeah you're gonna win games if you have a league average offense you're just not gonna win games if you have this crap yes yeah, so,
4: so I would I would encourage our listeners um and I would encourage everybody to just think about this um not as just a plus b equals c not Expensive player, underperforming, um, whose fault is it? I think you bring up a good point, Gary, and I think that we should think about a lot of situations across the NFL like this. Everybody is trying to stay employed, and this goes for all of us in all of our lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um I have been bringing down this podcast for two years, and Gary <laughs> has been trying to replace me um, because it makes Gary look bad by comparison. Uh, you know, so there is, you know, there's stuff like this that happened. No, I'm just kidding.
3: But Brett, um, Rip Brett Ripping keeps on getting signed. I've been trying to bring him into the MMQB podcast, but he keeps <laughs> on sticking on Denver's roster.
4: So you have a GM who traded all of the—you have a new owner. So Robert California walks in. You've got a new boss, okay? You have a GM— that paid the quarterback $250 million and traded away all your draft picks. So as the owner, you walk down into the building and you're like, hey, how come we don't get to do anything cool on draft night? Oh, because of that guy? Okay. And and why isn't he playing well? Okay. And then mm-hmm. you have the coach who comes over here. So there's three different – and then you have the quarterbacks. You have four different power structures here. You know, what's the easiest thing for everybody to do in this situation? Is to be like, uh, yeah, it's the head coach, right? I mean, honestly, right? Just Mm -hmm. because he's the cheapest one to get rid of. Um, He doesn't have the track record, uh, like you said. And so I think so much of the narrative uh, in the previous weeks and in the coming weeks. And if you look at if you watch the broadcast, they they talk about Nathaniel Hackett like my dad talks about me in public, like like that. They just like I don't know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. It's just like my dad's like, oh, Connor's driving a car. Like we'll see what happens. You know? <laughs> and he's like, it's like Nathaniel Hackett's coaching uh coaching football. We'll I don't know, man. This mm. is scary for everybody. Um, and so I think that's why we've arrived at this point of complexity, and that's why you saw Bill Belichick in Cleveland. And I'm not comparing Nathaniel Hackett and Bill Belichick, but that's why you saw Bill Belichick in Cleveland, like just trade Bernie Kozar and be like, screw it. I'm not, I'm not dealing with this. I like the. I yeah. like somebody else. I want to play my style of football. And Nathaniel Hackett can't do that. And so it would only take an injury and then like a Geno Smith-esque rise from Brett Rippon for him to be able to establish a power position here and be like, nah, guys, I know what I'm doing. Someone else just isn't dancing to the music.
3: Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure if Nathaniel Hackett took that job thinking like, boy, if I could just get my hands on Brett Rippon. <laughs> really get something cooking here.
4: And Brett Ripon standing there like, now you guys want me? Everybody talks about <laughs> Russell Wilson. It's been Brett Rippin this whole time.
3: It it did take until uh, uh, that uh, boy that that fourth quarter interception was really something. Uh, I guess he threw two in the fourth quarter, but the one where they were getting ready to seal the game mm-hmm. and uh, just that late, uh, it just it was a throw that you don't expect an NFL quarterback to even try because. It was late. It was uh, maybe with perfect timing, open briefly. Uh, There was a slight low percentage opportunity of fitting that ball in, but uh, it was just a brutal interception in the end zone that kept that game alive. And that was the first time I was like, who's the Broncos' backup? (laughs) Like, (laughs) where are we going
0: here? What's going to happen? There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge.
3: I do want to just step back for a moment. Uh, I'm going to do two things that are just making me so giddy. I'm going to talk about my spreadsheet, mm. and uh, and I'm going <laughs> to talk about some 1990s football players that you don't know, but old people like me will uh, will know. But uh, uh, as I've talked about for you know quite a bit, I, I do keep. Uh, I haven't made it public yet because it's too early in the season, and I, I don't want to uh, really put out numbers that are just not really settled at this point. But uh, I'll I'll put out sort of a, a sampling, a taste of it right now, of the luck-adjusted point differential spreadsheet, uh, also known by its acronym, Kingsbury. Uh, <laughs> right now, the Broncos, uh, again, this measures a couple of things. Uh, turnovers, which... Yeah, turnovers can be your fault. Turnovers can be forced by defense. But a lot of turnovers in this league are, uh, you know, a matter of, of tips, of, of, of bad breaks, of, uh, you know, whatever, a, a running back or return specialist fumbles. Uh, they're not really, um, they're not terrible symptoms uh, for the most part in this league, I feel. So I sort of, uh, sort of smoothed them out a little bit, the effect of them. Uh, stuff like opponent kicker performance which is completely out of a team's control uh fourth down performance fourth down failures are turnovers fourth down successes for your defense or takeaways uh I think we don't recognize that enough and uh, and red zone we've talked about red zone on the show uh a little bit uh we I will say the only thing I ever asked Andy Benoit to write about that he was like I don't know man I think that's too hard <laughs> was red zone just the the entire game changing the the geometry is different. Uh, it but it's a small sample size year to year. It tends to be very volatile as far as who is good in the red zone, who is bad in the red zone. Uh, and you know, I'll start there because, man, the last team uh to average fewer than three points per red zone trip, and that's another thing. Everyone points to touchdown percentage, but. If you turn the ball over in the red zone or you get stopped on fourth down, you get zero points, which is much worse than three. Three is worse than seven, but zero is worse than three. And I think there's a a lack of recognition for that. But uh, you have to go back to 1991 to find the last team to average fewer than three points per red zone trip. Uh, that was the, uh, the 91 Arizona Cardinals, excuse me, the 91 Phoenix Cardinals. That was before they, Mm. uh, changed the brand because they wanted to win the alphabetical title, uh, every year, which they've done, uh, which has been really good for them. But the Broncos right now are at 2.77, which is actually lower than the Cardinals 2.91 that year. That is just, that's obscene. I mean, you can the only way that sustains is if they think this is hilarious and they're just going to go out and like start punting from the 15 yard line. Uh, it just will not hold up. They will be better and more efficient in the red zone. Uh, can I just give you some, some 1991 Cardinals, uh, factoids though? Sure. Before we move on.
4: What else? Uh, What else? Why else would I be here?
3: Yeah. Uh, I, I, gosh, I just hope you like this. Um, their quarterback that year was Tom Tupa. The punter? <laughs> this was three years before he embarked on a lengthy career as a full-time punter. He was the Cardinals' starting quarterback that year. And uh, I was going through the rest of it. Again, this is, as I mentioned, this is the last team to uh, to average fewer than three points per red zone trip. Uh, another guy who played, he basically played like one quarter in a blowout at quarterback for them. Craig Cup, Cooper Cup's dad was a was a reserve what? quarterback on that team. Tom Tupa and Craig Cup were in the same quarterback room for this team that was historically bad in the red zone.
4: I'm I'm looking at some Tom Tupa Cardinals and it's just flashing uh it says like career <laughs> stats, 3 touchdowns, 7 <laughs> interceptions, 50% it's, completion rate. Yeah. God, it these wasn't guys good. were allowed to be so bad back then. I know. He, he's, this is what, like, this is why I want every old, if you're older than 45 and you're not like Dante Skarniecki, you shouldn't be allowed to talk about football and television. Like, I'm, I'm watching some of these Cardinals-Eagles games, and Tom Tupa is doing a five-step drop and then just standing there. <laughs> like, not moving, standing there. And then throwing the ball. It's like, just that little point where he's standing is more time than any quarterback in the NFL right now gets for the entirety of the drop back. It's, it's wild. Oh, it was the style at the time, Connor. We all just wore our hair down and did long eight-step drops.
3: We did. We mm-hmm. did. 1991 was a long time ago. Tom Tupa was, uh, he was uh, at that time, 31 years younger than he is right now. Think about mm. that. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so... So that is my point to say they are going to be better in the red zone. Uh, and they also they've uh, I want to get the exact number here. Uh, opposing kickers are perfect from 50 plus against the Broncos right now, which is another just weird um, out of your control type of thing. And of course, this is a team that is is losing very narrow games. Uh, and we're not even necessarily getting to the fact that, uh, you know, turnover luck has been bad, but not historically bad like some of the other stuff. Uh, You know, Melvin Gordon uh, fumbling and and the ball getting run back 70 yards for a touchdown. Stuff like that that just doesn't – you're not going to be like, ah, well, we got to factor in that we're probably going to give up like a 75-yard fumble return touchdown this week. And and, no, that doesn't work. Uh, You know, their defense is very good. That is obviously what's carrying them right now. But when some of these bad bounces start to even out, start to regress just to a more normal, uh, if they end up being – just unlucky instead of historically unlucky, that will take care of itself and they are they're two and three right now they're not zero and right. five they're two and three uh this is not a lost season uh there's plenty of work to do, but uh they can like I said they can be a league average offense uh Russell Wilson can just be uh just be a kind of okay dude uh playing somewhat inefficient football in a very efficient system and they'll be all right they'll win a lot of games they'll get to 10 wins they'll they'll be in the playoff hunt
4: yeah now i think that's ultimately i mean and that's ultimately what's going to happen here i think i mean we'll see it could devolve it could get worse um but you know we'll, yeah we'll see if not tom tupa is available so
3: <laughs> tom tupa Oh, bring it! Back. Yeah, three for three from fifty plus. Uh, yeah, they haven't had a, a opposing kicker miss a field goal this year. That's the thing. Wow. I mean, that's a big thing.
4: That is a big thing.
3: Oh man. Well, they get the charges on Monday night, and we'll uh, we'll see what the next step of this thing is. But uh, you know, Albert did mention the one thing he had talked to some folks in Denver. He also talked to some former uh, you know Seahawks staffers about uh where this might be going and that sort of thing and there was some optimism that russ came out and sort of publicly said like this is on me i lost this game or whatever the quote was uh which was something that some of the folks with him in seattle were a little bit surprised by that he was willing to you know basically i don't know what was it was a demean yourself in that way sure Some might call it taking responsibility yeah, Taking <laughs>
4: responsibility for your actions
3: but, yeah but yeah, sort of bumming yourself out, sort of being like, "Oh, I shouldn't have done all that terrible stuff."
4: Yeah, yeah. that's a thing. That is a um, you know, that that's something that uh was, was not uh necessarily part of the character profile before this. So, Mhm.
3: Let's, uh, let's get to two more games before we wrap up this show. Uh, obviously, the big one, Bills at Chiefs Sunday afternoon. Uh, this is the game that I was most curious to see with the sort of new, you know, quote-unquote new-look Chiefs. Basically, the Tyreek Hill-less Chiefs uh, at this point. I'm a little bit bummed that you don't get that Bills uh, safety tandem in this one because I, I think – This would have turned into a very good matchup for Buffalo at that point, uh, whereas now they're probably a little bit more vulnerable back there. But uh, they're still doing a lot of good stuff in that defensive backfield for the Bills, and uh, the Chiefs obviously are doing a lot of good stuff offensively. But the difference in the second matchup last year in the uh, AFC Divisional round was Tyreek Hill just sort of made some obscene catch-and-run plays, and that ended up winning the game.
4: Yeah, and so you're looking at a at a far more – right now it's a narrower profile of options for Patrick Mahomes, even though I do think that this will end up – and I've said this before – allowing him to be a better quarterback in the long run. But that, that deep threat, that bomb, is just not an option to him now, and it's not a fear for the defense. And so what we're seeing is him learning to be more artful, I think, and more conscientious in – the zero to 15 range. And I think it's going pretty well. I mean, what he scored mm-hmm. t- through four touchdowns the other night. Who cares if they're all the Travis Kelsey, it doesn't really matter to me, but um, yeah, I think that, um, you know, that is in progress, right? And Buffalo is a tough team you be able to get, uh, you know, it'll it'll be good and bad because Patrick Mahomes will have Von Miller to contend with, and it'll just force him to get the ball out. And I think that Andy Reid can design you stuff where if you get the ball out, good things are going to happen.
3: The other one to hit real quick, uh, Sunday night, the the Eagles versus the Cooper Rush-led still Cowboys at this point. Uh, Bummer no Dak Prescott in this one. You'd like to see these teams go at it at full strength at this point, but it's just kind of neat because... They, look, they played in the regular season finale last year. It was a meaningless game for both teams. Uh, you can throw that out. Nobody cares. Uh, when they played back in week three, it was just a completely different Eagles team at that point. And the Cowboys, uh, you know, rolled them up pretty good there, 41-21. But it's just it's almost like there's zero history between these two teams right now uh, as they are currently constructed, even though obviously they are on primetime television like seven times a season.
4: Yeah, I was, I was asked about that by a Philly TV station the other day. They're like, are you ready for this classic rivalry? And I was like, I hate to be like a pedantic little shit, but it's not. Um, <laughs> no, I, no, no I you like, don't. Yeah, and I was like, no, I don't. Uh, this is kind of what I live for. But, um, uh, but it's like, yeah, I mean, this is the first time that both of these teams are capably coached and uh, designed in a long time. So it's almost like we haven't seen this since, I don't know, uh... Bill Parcells and Andy Reid, maybe? Yeah. I mean, is that, that going too far back? No. Doug Peterson and...
3: I mean, Peterson would have just gotten Jason Garrett all those years.
4: Right. Sorry, and, Gen- uh, sorry,
3: I, I, sorry Jason Garrett.
4: Well, I, I guess there was some Doug Peterson, Mike McCarthy, right? I mean... yeah. Uh, n- well, but but last... No, because it was Nick Sirianni and Mike McCarthy last year. When, Correct. When the Cowboys... Um, made their run into the playoffs. So I don't know. I mean, you know, it's great. I wrote about this the other day. It's great that the NFC East is is good again. Uh, Yes. Because you get the nostalgia, but you actually get overall better quality of football. And, you know, because it was just, (laughs) it just sucked watching like the commanders and the Eagles on like Thanksgiving and just being like this, this blows, you know, or or the Cowboys commanders and the Cowboys, you know? Well, that's it. They
3: need to be good because they're going to be on TV a lot. They're going to be in right. those standalone time slots. And and so you need these teams to be good. But uh, but yeah, it, 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 look, I will find it very interesting. Uh, you got this fast flowing Cowboys defense. Uh, they're obviously uh, their pass rush is just utterly dominant right now. Uh, this might be kind of a kryptonite. For them we're we're mm-hmm. about to find out you get the multi-faceted run game and that's not to say like boy did, did you know the eagles could run the ball well uh they've been doing that for a, a very long time but this might be a particularly tough matchup for a defense that is just so so good right now in dallas uh man this is this is gonna be awesome this this really does feel like there's like two expansion teams going at it this is panthers jaguars 1995
4: Woo! Yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I I was not excited about this weekend at all, just because I'm dead inside. But now I'm. Uh, I'm slightly <laughs> less. Uh, I'm slightly less so. I'm. I'm ready for this. Remember the Frank Reich Panthers. <laughs>
3: The MMQB NFL podcast is Connor Orr and me, Gary Gramling. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody, and our senior podcast producer is Dan Bloom. Mark Ravick is emeritus editor of the MMQB Super Bowl champion. Andy Benoit is the founder of the MMQB NFL podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this feed on Apple Podcasts, and once you do, please leave a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.
2: Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars. Oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
0: With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. The wait is almost over.